going to find me in John chapter 6 this morning. If you want to grab a few Bible or follow along on the screens, we are in a series where we're just going through the gospel of John and we are right in the middle of it this morning. Uh, for those of you who need a little bit of context, uh, last week we jumped into a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. You might even say an argument that Jesus is having with the Pharisees out of a conflict uh, that they're, uh, they're perceiving to have with him because he's healed a man on the Sabbath. And they found out who did the healing and they found Jesus. And now Jesus is actually explaining himself. Um, so we get this really beautiful uh, picture of what is going on inside Jesus. You know, pressure, I heard a, a, a pastor once say that, pressure is like when you squeeze the toothpaste, right? That, that w- when the pressure comes, you see what's on the inside. And really what we get to see this morning is what is inside of Jesus. And even though he's in the midst of conflict, we're seeing these really important truths about who he is um, and his relationship to God and how he operates and does ministry within his world. And so I am looking forward to reading uh, from John chapter 6 this morning. Before we do, let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, please help us to hear from you this morning. To pay attention to your word. um, To know you in our mind. To know you in our heart. And to see the ways in which you... Uh, did ministry while you were on earth so that we might walk in your way in our turn here on earth and to understand what's possible through um, having relationship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Just invite us again this morning into this relationship that you have Lord, as the Trinity, Lord, help us to participate and be a part of such a beautiful, loving community. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. John chapter 6, and we are going to start in verse 31 and go through verse 47 this morning. Excuse me, chapter 5. I heard you all whispering. <laughs> That's good. You can help me help your neighbor out. I don't know why I put six down. Okay. John chapter five. I said it so many times and I had it wrong every time. All right. Chapter five, verse 31, and we're going to go through verse 47. It says this. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony is true about me. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. 
the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you, believe, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So a few things that I want to pick up on as Jesus is explaining himself and the reasons for why he's doing what he's doing in his public ministry to these Pharisees. A few things that I want to pick up on. The first one is central and primary, and I'm hoping it's a reminder for most of us, but it's an important reminder that I think we need to hear time and time again. It's simply this, that when Jesus is speaking of who verifies him, who reveals him, who gives him, his ability to do what he's doing, his testimony, is not about himself. But actually he's appealing to who? He's appealing to God. He's saying, he's saying that there's no human testimony here. He even says later, you guys have John that you've seen that could be and did give a testimony about me, but my testimony comes from the Father. That the thing that validates Jesus is his relationship with the Father. The thing that gives Jesus his identity is his relationship with the Father. This should remind us of the beginning of the Gospel of John. In fact, there's ways in which what Jesus is saying here is actually echoing the beginning of the Gospel of John. You remember John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, Jesus is the Word that was with God at the very beginning. This is a picture of the relationship of the Father and of the Son. And you may remember those who've heard the story of Jesus' life through the Gospels that there's two times where actually there's an audible testimony of God the Father to the Son. Remember at Jesus' baptism that God the Father is there and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
So it's the auditory spoken word of the belovedness that the father has for the son. And then with the backdrop of Moses in mind, as Jesus talks about Moses at the end of this story, we can think of the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus, as the new Moses, goes up to, uh, on the top of the mountain and there Moses and Elijah appear with his three disciples, right? And then it says that there's a great light, a great beam of light of the Father and then it's an echoing of that same testimony at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. See, this is the place we have to start, especially in times where we're in conflict, when the pressure is coming down on us. We can learn from Jesus as he stands in this moment. And he says, it's not your testimony that defines me. It is only the Father who defines me. And so he can stand in a moment of great pressure with a wholly different posture, able to show all of who he is, even if it's being rejected. I want to read to you uh, from Henry Nouwen, one of the most beautiful books I recommend it to you if you've never read. It's called Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. Just to remind us of this, Belovedness, this statement of belovedness that is the foundation of our very being. This validation that God gives us as followers of Jesus. It says this, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and in the long run, destructive. See Jesus in this moment. He's standing with his life being threatened for healing somebody on the Sabbath. The world tells you many lies about who you are and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting belief. So maybe this morning we could just begin with this question. What did you drag in here? And can you re-examine it in light of your belovedness? Can you look at it in a different way? In light of eternity. The love of the father passed on to the son given to the sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes uh, Ronald Heifus, this leadership teacher, teaches leaders that one of the things that leaders tend to do when they're trying to solve a problem is they get really too close to it. Reminded me of how my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, sometimes likes to take my phone and take pictures, and she, she plays with all the gadgets, and so she does an extreme zoom in. And so I'll get my phone back, and there'll be like 20 pictures of an extreme zoomed-in morning face of myself. It's not the most flattering uh, photography that you've ever seen. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of yourself 
when you're incredibly zoomed in on something, but it doesn't look great. And so Hyphus says that one of the things that you need to do is to go up on the balcony to look at the things that you're dealing with, the problems in your life, maybe even the flaws that you feel in yourself from the balcony, and to look from a different perspective on those same things. And I think Jesus is helping us to look from a new perspective, this perspective of one who is beloved. Can you look upon yourself and the problems you're dealing with with this perspective? To help us think about this, we need to understand the tradition that we stand in. Because this has been happening for people for a very long time. People have been trying to learn how to live in the light. And to be carriers of the light for a very long time. Let me share with you uh, how this is connected to the testimony of John the Baptist. You see here that Jesus is saying that John the Baptist was like a lamp, which is a very interesting image that John, the, that John the Baptist is not the flame, but he is the lamp, meaning that the lamp is the one who keeps the light for a season, right? And when we think about lamps, we think about electricity, we think about a lampshade, but I want to show you what the, everybody in this conversation this conflict would have thought of when they thought of a lamp because they all knew the scriptures very well and they didn't have electricity, right? So they thought of the word lamp very differently. So I think we have a picture of it here. And I'm also gonna, um, let me read to you from Exodus 25. This is a picture of the golden lampstand in the wilderness tabernacle, okay? So when Jesus says lamp, this is what they're thinking about. We see one long stem, and then we see six branches, and then actually at the top, even though sometimes we would think candles would go in there, what actually went in there was oil, and the oil would help the wicks to burn, and you can see here, this is a picture of Aaron, who was the first priest uh, in the wilderness tabernacle. And his job was to go into the temple in a place where there was no light except for this lamp. And he and his son's job was to keep the lamp burning to always keep the light burning in the inner sanctum of the temple. Let me read to you Exodus 25, 31 through 32. It says this, Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. John 1.5 as an echo of this light, of being keepers of the light, says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You can see how important the people of God thought that this idea was. 
that they were entrusted by God to keep the light. That God knew that there would be many great challenges that befall the human race. And so he chose a people to be keepers of the light. To bear testimony to the reality that though things can get really, really, really dark, that the darkness has not overcome the light. And so when John comes out of the gate, the light shines in the darkness. It is a reminder of this great tradition that they stand in. And so we might ask, in light of this conversation and conflict that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, what is the tradition that we are protecting? And how did the Pharisees miss their primary responsibilities? as keepers of the light. Well, we see, we have the three verses that really Jesus gets to the very heart of what's going on with the Pharisees in this conversation. Just simply this, in verse 39, it says that they refuse to yield to Jesus. That Jesus is not enjoying the fact that they are missing it. He's saying, I'm telling you about John the Baptist because you enjoyed his light and I don't want you to miss this next step. I'm offering myself to you. Would you come to me? And that is a primary posture that we need if we want to know God. Is a yielding. And then he just simply says in verse 42, that you lack the love of God in your heart. And probably the primary reason why they're missing it is because it says they're seeking their own personal glory. They don't care that the living word is before them because they've made a whole world out of being keepers of the law and being in charge. And they're doing it, they, they, they put on the clothes that they think are gonna impress people. They've studied and got the degrees that they think are gonna impress people. They've learned how to enforce the tradition in a way they think is gonna impress people. And Jesus even says, you're really doing this for each other. You're not even oppressing the people so much as you're oppressing the people. And the only people you're impressing are the people that are in your little clique. And you're doing it for each other to give each other glory and honor. And all the time you're actually stumbling around in the darkness. You see, we have nothing to give anybody that isn't yielded to Jesus. Any place within us that is unyielded to Jesus is simply a bad guide to God. And what we're here to do is to learn how to be good guides, how to examine all of the places that we have inside of us that are hard to examine in light of our 
belovedness, in light of who Jesus is and what he's offering. One way that the tradition has spoken of this uh, stumbling around in the dark and the persona that's created in the darkness, for the darkness, by and for the darkness, is called the false self. Thomas Merton writes about the false self. He says this, Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my own egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life and the desire for pleasure and the thirst for experiences for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this false self. So what is the primary reason why you can be so close to the things of God and yet miss the heart of God? To be so near the tradition and yet be outside of it. Because even with the things, all of the things, we can miss how to see and understand and know in the light. And so, uh, let me offer you uh, Otto Skarmer, who speaks of a posture that helps us to illumine our blind spots. To simply think of our mind, our heart, and our will in light of being beloved. An open mind is the capacity to suspend habitual judgment. An open mind is the capacity to suspend habitual judgment. So the gavels that we carry around pronouncing judgment on ourselves and the people around us. When we come with an open mind yielded to Jesus, we're invited to lay that gavel down. Sometimes that feels scary because we don't know what's going to take its place. Like what happens if we lay this down? Or an open heart is the capacity to shift perspective from my point of view to the viewpoint of others. Can you imagine if the Pharisees were able to do this? To just simply for a moment go, okay, I know we've built this whole system here, but what happens if I actually try and listen to what Jesus is saying? I mean, after all, he just healed a guy. Maybe I could at least hear him out with an open mind. Or finally, an open will. The capacity to let go of our preconceived outcomes and let come what wants to emerge from the future. See, this is a big one. Because Jesus is teaching them that he is the new Moses. And he's saying the things that you know so well in the scripture, they're actually a testimony about me. 
And you can see John here is building his argument. You know that at the end of John, that he talks about being, uh, that Jesus is the vine. And we are the branches. And that's hearkening back to the same image that we just saw of this wilderness tabernacle, that this vine, the, Jesus is the central figure, that if we are attached to these branches, then what? We will bear much fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. And so he's trying to say, Pharisees, you need to have an open mind so that you can see that what Moses did when he delivered the Israelites, the Jewish people from their oppression and their slavery. Now I'm here on the scene as the new Moses to deliver people from Satan, from sin and death. And so I am standing in the tradition that I am the new Moses. And they're missing it because they don't have an open will that's simply willing to come and ready to receive. Thomas Merton says the true self is defined this way. The true self is like a mirror in which God sees the divine self, a little world illuminated by the light of Christ, an inexhaustible resource so think about if what Jesus has made possible as the great high priest, that it speaks of him in Hebrews. Is that where the Aaron and his children and the priests that came after him had to strive to keep the light on? Now, Jesus is the eternal light that makes it possible for an endless self-sacrificing love, Merton says. A special place where God's name is written. A point of pure truth at the center of our being. A temple where God dwells. A center point or apex of the soul, of the soul responsive to the Holy Spirit. That is your true self. As the Old Testament gives way to the New Testament, we see Paul particularly picking up on what does he say? That the believer is the new temple. That everybody who knows Jesus Christ and chooses to walk in the way of Jesus Christ has this inner light, the center of who they truly are. So what does that make you think as I read again as Dave chose the same verse? When Jesus in Matthew 5 is speaking to his disciples and he says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they, what, may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. A couple of reflective questions right here at the end. Are you willing to yield to Jesus this morning?
as he says come. Come drag it all. Whatever you came with, whatever you brought this morning, are you willing to bring it to Jesus and just yield it to him? And can you suspend judgment? Judgment of yourself and the people around you so that you can make space to discover what Jesus thinks of you. And then finally, are you willing to let go of your preconceived definitions of success for the opportunity to participate in something so much bigger than yourself? Are you willing to let go of your preconceived notions of success for the opportunity to participate in something so much bigger than yourself? My prayer is that God would allow you to zoom out, to really see the big picture of eternity, and to view how you can play a part in this great unfolding story of who Jesus is and what he is about in the world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to yield in heart, mind, and soul, and body so that we might know you better. We don't want the glory of other people. We want to see you glorified. Lord Jesus, we want to see your name lifted high and you be great and mighty so that we might know the light and be keepers of the light so that we have the hope that you offer and we can extend that to the people around us. Make us good keepers of this tradition, Lord Jesus. May we walk in the light. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.